It is Tuesday, 23rd of April 2013, and this is the iDeveloper Podcast, episode 84, I think. <laughs> oh, with me on the line, John Fox. How are you doing, John? I'm Dandy. How are you, Mr. Scotty? Not bad. All the better for hearing you. It's been a couple of weeks since we were last on the air. Last time we were there, we announced the big change that we're transitioning to um, a, uh, uh, a more possibly business-focused podcast. Um, but uh, I say this is probably today. Would you say a sort of a, a, it's mu- just a mutating? It's the a method. It is the methadone of podcasts. If, if you considered that our old one was a heroin addiction that we're trying to shake, we're in transition now. Yeah, this is a cold turkey podcast. But we're going to do some business stuff. We're going to do some tech stuff. We're just going to merge it in and we're going to see how it goes. So, um, John, you're the boss today. I am in total submission to you. Um, oh, I like so that image. Go- I am going to let you uh, take total charge of the show. Um, so I'm just going to put my feet up, close my eyes, and um, I'll see you in 30 minutes. Okay, so for the next 30 minutes, we're just going to talk trash about Scotty and he'll be helpless. But... <laughs> But while we're doing that, that laugh that you're hearing in the background is, is from my best friend, friend, or my BFF, Matteo Manfredini, who I met in Amsterdam uh, last summer. And we're going to talk about building educational software because uh, Matteo worked very hard uh, on Lemur Chemistry with, with Mike Lee and some other people. Um, and we want to talk about that experience and what was learned, what worked well, what worked less well, and... Uh, See what the see what the the game landscape is these days, and what's next for you. Um, mm-hmm. So, Matteo, now you are in Amsterdam now, but that 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 lilting accent is not Dutch. I hear more more soft, lyrical, you know, tasty tasty food, uh, you know, on on a, <laughs> a table overlooking something green, and less kind of you know cheese in the back of your throat and too much beer. <sighs> so, tell us, where are you from? Well, as you already know, I'm from Italy, and you can easily tell from my name too. <laughs> oh yes, right. <laughs> not Manfredinovich. John, you haven't just been slighting Dutch food, have you? Not at all. I would not dare do that. I mean, I'm... I know that the Dutch have at least three types of sandwiches. You can have meat, cheese, or meat and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Before I go too far about that, so I went to an event at the at the Dutch consul's house here in San Francisco, and they, he said, "Are there any other questions?" And I said, "Where is it possible to get a tomato in, in Amsterdam?" And they, and they all kind of looked at each other. I was like, well, "You could go to the airport and go to Italy. <laughs> there you'll." <laughs> all right. So, but so, how is it that somebody left the the perfect sunshine and happiness of Italy to go to to Amsterdam? That's my first question. Well. Uh, as you might have read on some newspapers, uh, it's not all perfect sunshine and happiness in Italy at the moment. Wow. So um, uh, there is a quite difficult economical and political um, situation. And um, I-, I always wanted to leave Italy anyway while I was studying. So mm-hmm. I got an opportunity to come uh, uh, to Amsterdam to work for Hives, which was a social network uh, for Dutch people. And, and that's why I'm here in Amsterdam. I see. Okay, so that that was like two years ago or more? It was three years ago. So you predate Amsterdam, but when Amsterdam came to down, you, you seem to have joined the parade a bit. Because I- Yes, uh, I was at the first tables of Amsterdam. Mike uh, came with the idea and, of course, needed some people. 
So we started meeting. We were like five or six of us, and I was there since the first meeting. Ah, okay. So you 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 like you have the tattoo. <laughs> And so then, you know, you, so you've been working at this company so that you were, you were hired by a company, but you kind of had the itch at some point to, to write some educational software. How was that? Yes. Yes. Well, I, I wrote, uh, some apps for, for other companies and, uh, and I studied freelancing and, uh, freelancing for me was always a way to, to get going with my own ideas. So my idea at some point was about educational uh, games because it, it comes from my background. I was a teacher uh, while I was studying. I, I taught uh, math, physics, and uh, and computer science. Uh, and I, I've been always uh, passionate about math and uh, and education. So and of course video games too. I've, I've grown up uh, playing video games. So the idea in the end was to build educational video games uh, to teach math to kids. And but I think that the, a lot of the the video games, the educational games, have have been just basically replicating you know what you have. So if you're teaching multiplication tables, they give you kind of flashcards and they they they, they animate them a little bit. But they, they, I hadn't seen a whole lot of of video games educational that really tried to to change how, how you know that would take advantage of some things that you might not otherwise be able to do. That- yeah, exactly. That, that's why I think all the educational games right now in the App Store are quite bad. Uh, first of all, because they don't try to do anything new. And second of all, because they just try to teach uh, the usual math. So multiplication tables, uh, addition, subtraction, uh, and that's it. There is no higher math. There is no algebra. There is uh, no calculus or nothing like that. And so you you put on your superhero cape and then <laughs> some idea was born. And what was that idea? Well, my my initial idea, which I still have to 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 make at some point, is uh, to build a game uh, um, to teach algebra. So not only uh, the normal uh, operations to kids, but it's it's for older kids. So I think at ten, twelve, when they start studying uh, uh, algebra and literals in uh, in school. So that was my target. And the game uh, is is some sort of uh, uh, the, the whole idea is to make some RPG where you fight uh, monsters while uh, doing algebra. That, that's the final idea. Ah. So it, it, it will have uh, different iterations before because uh, that's a big idea to build. But uh, that's the, the final uh, thing that I have in my mind. Ah, so so your life is on the line, and, and your ability to, to to live another day is to be able to solve x equals ten for x or something. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's um, it's I still have to to define that. Uh, well, it's just an idea for now, but uh, it it's a way to tie equations to spells, and then you cast spells to defeat monsters. Ah, that's so cool. That's, that's the idea. Okay, so um, so you said you you went freelancing in order to be able to do your own ideas. Um, was that you were going to freelance in order to save up money to then go do your idea, or by freelancing you could do less hours and do your idea alongside? When when you set out, what were you thinking about how you were structuring that? It's both of them. One thing is I can get money, uh, so I can support myself in the meanwhile. And the other thing is with freelancing, I can have more time uh, to work on my ideas because when you have a job, you work eight hours per day. And when you are freelancing, maybe you work also eight hours per day when you're on a project, but you have space between projects. And so then... um... 
was your idea that you wanted to to work by yourself and hire you know kind of hire freelance people, designers or you know audio? Yes, people? yes. The idea is that especially for for stuff that I cannot do, so, so like uh, illustrations and uh, music, that's definitely the idea. Hire freelance people that that have those skills. It's big. Is that because? And what I'm, I guess I'm getting at is, did you have an idea that you wanted to create a company, a kind of a game studio, or was that you just wanted to? The, there was this project, and, and what matters? Uh, or was the project? Well, if if the project works well, of course, uh, uh, the idea was to go on with other uh, other games, and and the idea was to go on with the with the same idea on math. So mm-hmm. we start with algebra, but then there is uh, so much math to do. Uh, up to calculus that you do in university so that 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 is the long-term dream let's mm. say and so now now then you 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 did work and and you did produce um uh, lemur's chemistry can you talk about that a little bit yes so uh the idea was to build this uh educational game of math and uh, at some point uh i was approached by by some people uh which one of those was uh, Mike, and uh, and um, another guy called Floris, which is a venture capitalist here in uh, in Amsterdam. So the proposal was to build a team uh, and then find an idea uh, on which to build uh, a new company. So we came together. We we got a team of uh, five people, and uh, and Mike liked the idea to do educational games too. So in the end, the idea that was picked up was uh, this one. But uh, Mike is more fond of chemistry from his side. And that this idea of uh, building this game where actually you could use lemurs uh, to represent atoms and uh, and build a game on chemistry on that. And I thought it was uh, quite a good idea too. So we decided to start uh, building that game. And so you you worked you worked because I I kept seeing tweets here and there about kind of uh, you know that the the team was just like you know working Silicon Valley death march style hours and and you got it out and it's done pretty well um but has it has it done you know kind of what what worked and what didn't can you tell us a little bit about that experience um well, I can tell you about the experience of the company because I don't have uh, data on uh, on sales of the game because they left uh, just after shipping right so for for those things you you will have to ask no right. and, and, and i'm not and i'm not i'm, I'm not le- interested so much in numbers i'm more like kind of uh, almost kind of your, your personal feeling you worked really hard mm-hmm. and and was it was it was it what you expected that type of thing you know uh in the end it wasn't and that's the reason why i left the company uh for a couple of reasons i think that uh, we could have done uh the game better and uh and I'm included in that too, so I think uh, we all share the responsibility. I think we should have started doing the game first uh, on paper and studying a bit of um, uh, literature on on game design, which I studied after that. And um, and instead, we just started coding the game, trying to iterate on it and trying to find a way to make the game fun and to find some game mechanics that worked. Uh, so I think that was one of the things that didn't work and I didn't agree with in the end. And uh, the other thing was company culture because uh, this idea of uh, Silicon Valley style, death march, uh, sleeping in the office is not uh, my idea of how things uh, should be. 
uh, I'm more on a, a, a balanced life point of view because I've noticed that uh, many people sacrifice a lot and still fail, while many people actually just uh, have a normal balanced life and still succeed. So uh, I don't think that uh, sacrifice and death marches are uh, are the way to to build any company. And that's my opinion, of course. Mm. But that, that's a really an interesting point, though, because. Um... I'm interested that you call it, you know, the, the Silicon Valley death march. That's, um, um, I guess, is that an expectation when of a company when it's received money, um, or is it an expectation that you need to do that in order to get to a place to risk, to get money before you sort of run out of the very limited funds, or is it just a we're in the valley and life is intense, so this is what we do, or do people do it because? Actually, it has been proven to work. Um, I, I don't think it's a letter because, uh, as I said, uh, there are still people that uh, that work a lot, work really hard, sacrifice everything, and still end up with nothing. While there are many people that uh, that uh, are very successful while uh, while working part time, if we want to call it like that. Uh, well, the thing is, I. I didn't start calling it the, the Silicon Valley way because I've never been in Silicon Valley. But this was how actually Mike was calling it. So I assume that that's how it works there. And the reason, uh, well, one of the reasons was, of course, because we were late. We got some uh, funding from some uh, angel investors uh, to keep us going for uh, for some months to build the game. And at some point uh, we were approaching uh, the deadline, which was the end uh, of the money. And uh, we had to release the game. So one of the reasons was that we had to meet the deadline somehow. Mm. So for that reason, I I also uh, joined this uh, um, uh, this death march, knowing that we were late and the responsibility was still shared because we spent a lot of time chasing things around and never doing things the proper way. And uh, yes. So 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 just let me get this straight in my head. Did the company set out working normal hours and then realize it was late and go on a death march? Or was it from day one, we're a startup, we do death marches? No, the death march started like the last month. Uh, on day one, we started just working normal hours. Okay, mm. so this this was a sort of, it was based on need as opposed to philosophy. Uh, it was based on need, yes, but then it became a philosophy too because... Uh, uh, the philosophy became the other way doesn't work. The other way didn't produce anything. So this is the only way of doing things. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky thing. I mean, from my own experience, you know, having having hard deadlines is, is very very useful. In fact, I think that was that was a point that was hammered home by by Alan Canestrano, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, that you, that you have to have a deadline because if you don't, then you'll never ship anything. But I also find that, and, and maybe partly it's an age thing. You know, at, at this point in my life, especially since I have a wife and child whose company I enjoy, I just I don't want to be you know away fourteen hours a day. Um, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm capable of doing it, and on occasion, especially now since you know I'm getting ready to to, to ship a product with Findery, that there there are some late nights and and some some weekends work but it's the exception and not the norm it's it's pretty yes that's that's exactly my idea too it's uh it's an exception uh while what i saw during that month is that that was advertised also outside mm. uh, of the company as the way uh companies are built and as the way it has to be 
So from things written on Twitter, from things uh, said uh, around to people, uh, to things said around to conferences, uh, that was advertised as the way to build a company. And that, that was uh, what I didn't agree with. Right. I know that sometimes you have hard deadlines. I know sometimes you have to work a bit more to meet them. But that's an exception, as you said. Hmm. And so, you know, then in terms of, of, you know, you had the idea that you should be able to make educational software where where you learn not in the way that you're expecting to learn. It's kind of, it's almost like a, like a, how do I say it? A, a side effect of, of the gameplay. Um, yes. And, you know, since, since that's not been done, you know, you came into the market wanting to fill, fulfill that need because you aren't seeing it from, from the reactions of people who are using it. Um, cause I, I thought it was quite cool. My son liked it as well. Um, and it, it to me it seemed like it was it was a good first start. I mean, there there are some things that I, I can also see that when you first get on with it, you think, okay, well, I see these these you know these atoms floating around. I'm trying to turn them into molecules, but you may not even perceive it as such. It's just kind of here's some things that I want to tap and throw together and and and, and swipe. What do you think that has this changed your perspective of of whether the problem is solvable? So to speak. Mm, okay. Uh, just give me one minute. I have to open the door as I told you, and then I'll come and I'll reply to this song. Okay. Question. Okay, so, John, we'll do our sponsor during this time, shall we? Because that looks just sounds convenient. This is like a live break. Okay, right. Um, our sponsor, you can all guess who our sponsor is because everyone listening is a, is a regular Invasive Code, our friends in Invasive Code. Now, they seem to be doing pretty well, John, because, um, well, they've got a course running this. Uh, um, this week, or oh, no, next week in, in San Francisco, no, later this week, 26th of April, mm -hmm. uh, but that's uh, too late to get on that one now. Um, okay, I'm back. The course, uh, yeah, we're just doing a, um, a sponsor slot, uh, Matteo, so no rush. Um, okay. And then um, in May, they're sold out in San Francisco, so if you want to learn iOS development in May, <laughs> you're going to have to wait. But uh, Italy in July, um, San Francisco again in August, and September in Barcelona. So what is it they're doing? They do iOS developer training, um, five days intensive course, or you can break that down into a three-day beginner course and a two-day advanced course. All the details are on their website at invasivecode.com. No matter which course you go on, you get seven hours a day in the classroom with training and all the materials and lunch and all that sort of stuff. Maximum of 10 people in the room big selling point with invasive code uh, but even after that labs are open in the evening you can go finish up your work finish up the exercises the instructor will be around um, maybe a little bit more casual so it just makes the whole thing sort of um, uh, work for you so um, go check them out in uh, invasivecode.com or training.invasivecode.com we do have a um, uh, coupon code for you to use which will get you $200 off or 200 euros off I believe depending on um, which uh, whoever's which, exchange rate yeah, is more favorable yeah. um, so that's um, idevtv-2013 um, that will all be in the show notes uh, when we put them out there so um, go check them out invasivecode.com we do appreciate their sponsorship they've been with us a long time now um, Yeah, give them a shout out and uh uh, make it feel that it was worth their while. Okay, right. Um, back to you, John. So when we last left our hero, the question came up is, you know, now that you've shipped a game where you, the, the idea is uh, make make the education, make the learning a side effect, has 
what what have you learned from it? Is it is it a very is do you feel like you've solved the problem or now you've learned enough to be able to give it another go and and, and improve upon that idea? Yeah, I think it's the second. Uh, I think I've learned enough to improve on that idea. I think we all did uh, actually because uh, our mistake uh, I think was to to start uh, from uh, from nothing to code actually uh, the game already from the start, which is very expensive. We as we all know coding and engineering are the most expensive part of, of software. So I've, I've read uh, literature on game design, and uh, I still think that the idea works uh, and might work pretty well, because uh, there are books out there that explain that actually the fun that comes from games uh, comes from learning. Uh, it's it's uh, something that is wired in our brain. Uh, so, if, for example, if you're playing Tetris, what your brain is learning is uh, special abilities. Mm. And, uh, and uh, the faster the game becomes, uh, the harder it becomes, but you get also more skills. So you get in, in a place where the game is uh, not too easy to become boring and not too hard to become frustrating. And in the meanwhile, you're learning, learning skills to solve the game. And this happens with every game. So uh, the actual release of endorphins in your brain uh, from the fun is, is a process of learning. So that's why I think that uh, uh, games really apply well to learning and to education. So uh, the problem with uh, Limur Chemistry is that uh, uh, since we didn't start methodically studying uh, game design and uh, working on pacing and uh, game mechanics, uh, what we ended having is a game that it's uh, very hard at the beginning. So it's incredibly uh, difficult to understand what's going on in the game at the start. And then uh, if you get past to that frustration and you actually learn how to play the game, then the game became, becomes suddenly very easy, which is uh, something that goes against both the principles I said about uh, normal game design. Mm. And so, so what's next? You're, you're, you know, you're going to go out and, and, and try and realize your RPG game or you know, do you need to now kind of go back and, and kind of refill the, the coffers, so to speak? Uh, I need to refill the coffers. So at the moment, I'm focusing on uh, freelancing. Uh, I'm studying a bit of marketing too, because also in freelancing, I was never uh, that good uh, in, uh, in marketing myself. Uh, so I'm improving my marketing skills uh, and um, I will definitely do some, uh, some freelance projects in the meanwhile to get... Uh, uh, to refill, of course, uh, my supplies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I already started coding uh, some months ago that game that I have in my mind. I made a little prototype that showed around and, and the response was good. Um, but at the moment it's on our shelf. Also because I think that the uh, gaming marketing market on, um, on iOS is pretty hard. So it requires uh, some... Uh, some thought before just implementing a game. Right. So we, we had questions from the, the chat room, so to, so we can clarify. Mm -hmm. Is Lemurs, was that the first game that you'd you had, had ever shipped or the first game you'd ever produced or what was the, what was your experience beforehand? I made a little game for iOS, which is still in the app store, mm -hmm. and that I made myself. Uh, it, it was never a, a big success, but right. that was just my first project uh, on uh, on iPhone to learn uh, actually how to code on our iPhone. I was coming from a Mac background, so mm -hmm. I already knew Objective-C, but uh, that was the idea that I had at the beginning. It was a little game that I had. It was a mini game of Final Fantasy VIII, 
Mm-hmm. So that's the first game I released. And for that one, of course, I hired uh, a freelance designer for the graphics. Uh, but if you look at the game, it has a pretty good response. Uh, the, the stars are like four or five in the mm-hmm. App Store. Mm-hmm. Uh, it never had big downloads, but uh, that's probably because of both my um, lack in marketing and uh, and uh, I didn't really create a, uh, an amazing game uh, as Angry Birds might might be. Sure. So it was not my first game, uh, even though the other game was not really as complicated as Lemur's Chemistry. Cool. And so um, talk about some of the things that, that you know, I, I assume that you, you had a pretty good idea of what the engineering challenges would be. I mean, you know, you, that, that you kind of say, well, you have to figure out the, kind of the, 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 the physics of the game, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, was there anything um, that you thought was, was, you know, surprising challenge or not as hard as you expected? I mean, for, for me, what, I've, never, I've never written a game the closest I've ever come. What, what, to something I would imagine writing about games is, is dealing with with triggering audio when when different animations are going and getting that mm-hmm. to work smoothly. I mean, is there anything that 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 you said, "Wow, this is a huge surprise"? Uh, yes, there were a couple along the way. Uh, at the beginning, we started writing our physics engine, and um, I studied some papers on collision detection. And uh, it sort of worked, but there were many, many problems with that. Uh, many problems that I didn't see coming and they were hard to solve. So luckily for that, uh, uh, we found that there is a, an open source physics engine, which is called Box 2 d Works really well. It's written in C++. And, uh, and a lot of games use it. Even Angry Birds use, uh, uses just that uh, physics engine. So at some point, we switched to that. That was the first thing. Uh, the other thing is that uh, audio on um, on iOS uh, is um, uh, there are some uh, easy to use libraries, but those are uh, not really good for games because the sounds come uh, with a small delay. So if you want to really sync sounds, uh, you have to go uh, with uh, different kind of APIs. But luckily for that, we had a friend that there was um, an expert on that, uh, which is called Marcus Palmanto. He released uh, uh, an app on an, uh, that is an accordion app. Mm. So it, it really worked uh, on uh, a lot on audio. So he created the audio, ed- on audio engine uh, for the game. And actually, the audio engine for the game is uh, it's quite amazing. It's still not used at, the, at, at its full power, but it's uh, an engine that is able to get small audio samples and assemble them on the fly. So you can actually change the music while the game is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were the biggest challenges. Then, uh, then there is uh, some deal of optimization that you need to do. Uh, but uh, at the beginning, we thought, for example, that we would need to use uh, OpenGL for the graphics. And actually, we were able to do everything native. So everything is written in Objective-C. We, are using, uh, we were using CA layers. I think mm-hmm. they still, still are. Uh, so for that part, uh, uh, we didn't need uh, uh, OpenGL or... Uh, any other framework like uh, Coco Studio, for example. Ah, that's interesting. That that that, that was a, my next question. That's that's pretty cool to know. Um, and then, so so there's an interesting conversation going on in the chat room from from Mr. Moody, Joshua Moody, I believe, or Josh Moody. And I apologize if I mis mis uh, mispronounced your name or got your name wrong. But the the question coming on with with educational software. Now I know that that uh, Fraser Spears is 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 big on on pushing iPads and education, and mm-hmm. um, 
you know, so he, he actually gave a pretty interesting talk about it. And the, the question that, that's being raised here is about, you know, uh, aligning your, your games with, with, with standards like San Francisco or rather, you know, California and, and, and the United States in general has, has gone really, uh, I would say, a bit overboard even in, in, in having standardized testing and, and uh, teaching to the test and, and you know, having to, to, to measure this, that and the other thing against some progress kind of uh, mm-hmm. plan. Had, do you think with educational software there's there's a need to be able to align your game to say you know it, it, the goal of this game is that after they've mastered the levels or whatever that they may may have have learned skills that would otherwise be taught in classroom with at this level with yeah this that, that that was the idea like you play the game and after finishing the game you have knowledge that you will find very useful in school. And uh, there are a couple of articles out there you can find that actually prove that uh, this stuff works. For example, there was a game uh, about, uh, it's about algebra, actually, even though it's not, the, the, it doesn't go as far as, as, I, as my initial idea. And it's called uh, Dragon Box. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a clever way to hide algebra at the beginning. It just works with, uh, with that uh, box with a dragon inside that you have to feed and you have cards with, that you flip. And as you play the game, uh, actually those cards uh, turn out to be like variables uh, on, and numbers in uh, in an equation. And uh, I, I, they made some tests, and, and it was proven that the kids that played that game then were uh, uh, faring much better in school in, in algebra mm. because they, they already uh, knew the concepts uh, from the game. Hmm. Uh, another big proponent uh, for this is uh, Jane McGonigal. She has a whole a big movement uh, of uh, games for change. Uh, so many people that are writing games that actually help people doing different stuff. Uh, so not only learning, but uh, but achieving uh, other things in life, like coming out of depression or uh, solving illnesses. Uh, and that works too. There, there have been cases uh, that show that uh, these games... Uh, work also on on health of people mm, interesting so and so the other thing too is is um you know there, there are certainly lots of of problems in the world <laughs> ecological <laughs> problems i mean i was just thinking about this you know the other day i mean there's there's the so-called you know pacific uh you know trash gyre i think that's how you pronounce it I mean, yeah, old, yeah it's a plastic and and i think i remember reading somewhere that there was some kid who thinks that they have an engineering solution for this because the problem is that, that everybody has this idea that it's full-size bottles and stuff it's not it just means that the the the, the pieces of plastic are broken down to rather small pellet size that are floating around poisoning the fish and, and making mm-hmm. dead zones so i can imagine a game where you're trying to literally 